All right, welcome back. Uh, again, my name is Al, and it's great to have you joining us for our Christmas Sunday, and we are continuing in this Advent series. And today is the Sunday of joy, okay? The Sunday of joy, so it should be your pink candles that you just lit for today. And I don't have my daughter with me today, but I do have a couple other friends who are helping me out. That's, um, I don't know if you could see them, but it's a Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Tweedledoo was here earlier this week, but he died. So um, <laughs> it's just Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to kind of make that stupid dad joke because it's, oh, it's really driving me crazy. And it's like, you can't not see it, okay? And sorry, I have to be this close to the webcam because I don't have a fancy setup. I'm just on my computer and I'm just live streaming through this and um, I have this simple mic. I don't have a, you know, clip on. As you can see, it has a wire. So, um, sorry, you just have to deal with my pimples. <laughs> okay, anyways, that has nothing to do with today's message. Um, but I, I did want to share this one podcast that I heard recently. Uh, it was an interview of this doctor, this medical doctor. His name is Dr. Peter, Peter Atia, and he is the former surgeon at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And he was doing this interview kind of promoting a book that he is writing. I don't think it came out yet, but it's a book on longevity of life. And he shared in this interview that when it first started off, it was purely kind of like a clinical medical book that was just looking at the physical aspects of what it means to or how, how to live a long healthy life and he was just really looking at basic things like exercise diet sleep you know all that basic stuff but he realized it's actually um, kind of boring and nothing new was being said and also he intuitively knew that there was more to it than just the physical component right and as he was um, digging into this deeper, right? He realized that, well, he has to actually include some sort of like mental and emotional aspect to the book. And as he was doing that, and as he was processing this with his own therapist, he, he actually went to go see a psychotherapist like regularly during this time, and he's been doing so for many, many years. Um, the therapist actually mentioned to him, and he was sharing with this therapist the struggle that he was having, this kind of big writer's block that he was having regarding his book. And the therapist actually mentioned to him that he had three plays for motivation his entire life that got him very, very far. And for him, this is specifically for him, okay? Those three things were obsession, <laughs> detachment, and rage. Obsession, detachment, and rage. And uh, when he heard these things, he got really mad at her. He's like, no, it's not. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's just a stupid joke. Uh, but that actually forced him to do a lot of uh, hard reflection and soul searching during this time. And he realized that these three things actually got him pretty far in life. Uh, he became this really accomplished uh, surgeon. And, you know, he graduated from medical school at the top of his class. And he kind of started his own, like, company and he was really successful and he was super healthy. He was really into living a healthy life and he was in great shape. He had uh, a trophy wife and wonderful kids and just everything wonderful on paper. But in his spirit, he knew that something 
huge what's was missing and he confessed that the thing that was incredibly lacking in his life was joy joy and he really really talks about it in a spiritual way and i could send you the link just let me know uh you know because i don't want to promote uh different podcasts on here that um might be kind of inappropriate right uh, or for adults only but i will send you the link if you if you're really curious okay but the thing that he knew deep down inside that was really lacking his entire life and you know he was in his 50s right um was joy and he really was talking about it from a spiritual point of view and he wasn't talking about happiness i think in today's culture we kind of see those two things joy and happiness as being synonymous but it's not okay happiness is an emotion but joy is a state of being it's this inner spiritual state of contentment right uh, and that even if you're not emotionally happy you can still experience joy it's a state of being okay it's not an emotion like happiness is and as we reflect and look at the example of mary the mother of jesus and the joy that she reflected in her song and in her response to this difficult life-changing but incredible news that she would be the mother of jesus christ she really models this example of joy and the central truth for today is this a life of happiness without joy leads to emptiness a life of happiness without joy leads to emptiness. Today's passage takes place immediately after Mary had received news from the angel Gabriel that she would bear the Son of God, that she would be the mother of the Son of God. This news must have been incredibly confusing for Mary, given that she um, never been with a man, right? And she was really, really young. Okay, she might have been 14 or 15 at the time. Uh, she must have also been very excited, right? Like that she would be the mother of the Son of God. But it must, it must also put in her a lot of fear, kind of not, not knowing <laughs> what that means, right? And maybe even self-doubt, like why me, right? Because Mary was just this humble teenage girl from a lowly family nobody knew who she was she wasn't famous and she didn't come from a prestigious background at all right and and so she must have had really this mix of all of these different emotions at the time right but the biggest one of all was probably shock now mary's announcement comes right at the heel of another great announcement that her cousin elizabeth received from the same angel gabriel right uh gabriel told uh, mary's cousin elizabeth elizabeth was much older right that she would be the mother of a great prophet who would pave the way okay who would pave the way who would kind of make the way for the coming messiah right and so back to back elizabeth first received this announcement from the angel gabriel that she would be the mother of john the baptist who would be the prophet who would pave the way for um, his kind of second cousin jesus christ and then mary who received this announcement from the same angel gabriel who would be the mother of the son of god jesus christ 
Now, when Mary received this announcement, okay, uh, the first thing that she wanted to do was go see her cousin Elizabeth. And I don't know if they were particularly close. Um, they were really far removed from age. Like I said, Mary was uh, a teenager and Elizabeth was much, much older, right? And probably um, at the age where she uh, couldn't conceive anymore, right? Which is why she was surprised at this great news. And also Mary lived in the town of Nazareth while Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judea, which was at least 90 miles away, right? And so this was a difficult journey, okay? It's not like she could just hop in her car and go, okay? This was a, a really, really difficult journey for Mary to go see Elizabeth. But Mary was very intentional about seeing Elizabeth and speaking to her. And it's because the angel Gabriel had mentioned Elizabeth's pregnancy to Mary. And so Mary knew that Elizabeth being too old to have children um, might be the only person in the world that would believe what happened to Mary. Now, what's really interesting, you know, we're looking at Luke's account of uh, Mary's song. And what's really interesting about the Gospel of Luke is that Luke, the author, he puts a lot of emphasis on women uh, all throughout his Gospel. Okay, so Luke chapter 1 um, begins in this kind of uh, uncommon way by focusing on secondary characters of the story. Now, if you know, you're telling uh, a really, really long epic story, you would probably begin with the origins of the main character, not the main character's mother, <laughs> right? And not, definitely not the main character's aunt. But for some reason, we um, focus a lot on Mary and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. But the other reason why this is um, more interesting not just the fact that they're secondary characters in Luke's gospel, but it's because they're women. Women in the first century were kind of treated like second-class citizens, and yet Luke focuses a big chunk, most of Luke chapter 1, on these two women, Mary and Elizabeth. And it really kind of paves the way for what Jesus would do in the world, which is actually making women like equal to men and having like same status as men right and also elevating others like children children were also treated as like second-class citizens in the first century and also like caring for the poor and um the sick and and this is really beginning luke is really beginning his gospel in a totally radical way that is not traditional by any means in the first century now, the Gospel of Luke is interesting, not only because of this, okay, but definitely because of this, right? Uh, he also goes into lengthy detail about these other secondary characters like John the Baptist and Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, which is interesting because Zechariah comes, he's a priest coming from a priestly line in uh, Israel, right? So John the Baptist, the prophet, is the son of Zechariah, the priest, right, which is a really really interesting background and so okay I'm, I'm kind of sidetracking but when Mary goes to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth something strange happens as soon as Mary arrives at the home of Elizabeth Elizabeth's baby in her womb leaps with joy 
leaps with joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and so she was able to interpret what that leap or kick really meant. And as, as you know, the baby, as I mentioned earlier, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb was none other than John the Baptist, the prophet. And so he, John the Baptist knew, even as a baby in his mother's womb, that there was something very special that was going to happen. And even from his mother's womb, he was preparing the way of the Lord. And it's almost like he was um, telling his mom from in the womb, like, hey, there's someone special. There's something special going on, right? And from the womb, he was preparing the way of the Lord, like kicking and like, I don't know what I'm doing. But, um, and Elizabeth was able to confirm that uh, what Mary had heard from the angel Gabriel was true. Okay, that Mary wasn't crazy, that she wasn't losing her mind. And the way that Mary responds after she has this encounter with Elizabeth, right, um, is with a song. Right? And, and why a song? Why does Mary respond to this news, incredible news, with singing? Well, throughout the Old Testament, but also throughout history, Women were often the ones proclaiming God's goodness through song, through singing. Okay, and you could trace this all the way back to the book of Exodus. The first song in the Bible, in the whole Bible, was actually sung by Miriam, Moses' sister, uh, after the Israelites escaped Egypt. Also, in Judges chapter 5, after the Israelites defeated the Canaanites, the prophet Deborah responded with a song and in first samuel when the barren um, mother hannah had a baby she also responded with a song so mary's song follows this really really old tradition of proclaiming god's goodness through singing and this is a really really ancient uh, israelite tradition for women specifically women to respond with song um, when they are in a state of joy, particularly when they are in a state of joy. Also, as I mentioned historically, right, in ancient times, when a king would return to a city after a really, really difficult journey or after a war is over, uh, his people would welcome him back into the city with music or singing. Trumpets would blow, cymbals would crash, and people would be singing in the streets, right? This was a way of welcoming their king back to his home, but it was also a celebration. And so what Mary was doing is that she is literally celebrating, okay? She is li literally celebrating uh, through singing. And after hearing this news that she would be the mother of the Son of God, she responded with singing because she was also welcoming her king into her life, into her heart. With her singing, she was saying, May the Son of God come. I welcome the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And at the core, at the core of her song was joy. Joy. And when we, her, when we observe her song, we can see three compelling reasons why uh, we have reason to have joy and to kind of follow in her example. And as difficult as 2020 has been, 
uh, we can still find reasons to be in a state of joy. And for example, Mary's circumstances were far from ideal, right? And um, I think many of you know the nativity story where they had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem and it was this really, really difficult journey and there was no space for her at the end and so she had to give birth in a, a cave. Some people think it's a barn, but historically, most likely, it's a cave where she was surrounded by these like barnyard animals and they didn't have um, a bed for uh, baby Jesus and so they had to put him in a manger which was a feeding trough for these animals and while the circumstances were far from ideal she was still full of joy right and so this is the first lesson that we can learn from Mary's example of joy is that joy is found in God not our circumstances joy is found in God not our circumstances Look with me at verses uh, 46 and 47, which is the first two verses of today's passage. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Okay, rejoice, that comes from the word joy, okay, to be in a perpetual state of of joy that's really what rejoice means okay to um, to be joyful again and again and again okay rejoice and so joy is not an emotion okay it is a state of being joy was the state of being that Mary and Elizabeth were in it's the state of celebration but it's also the state of contentment or satisfaction in the original language uh, that the New Testament was written in, which is Greek, the word joy is the word kara in Greek. Right? And this is not an emotion, okay? It's not synonymous with happiness as we, in the Western world, kind of understand it. Uh, oftentimes when things uh, are completed, like a victory at the end of a war, or the closing of a long, difficult business arrangement, or the end of an engagement uh, through a wedding or the fulfillment of a promise that would usually result in joy and this is what is happening in the spirit of Mary it did not ma it did not matter to her if she was this teenage girl from a poor family her joy was found in God and not her circumstances I don't know about you, but for me, uh, this year in particular, it is so difficult not obsessing over our circumstances when what surrounds us seems so dire and meek and depressing. <laughs> um, and for me, like as difficult as it has been, I, it, it's, it's been really hard to be a pastor during this time. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Um, doing this live stream is not ideal. I don't prefer it at all. You know, I prefer to be with people. And when I am giving messages like this, when I'm like talking to a camera, I don't get any, get any response. And so that's been really, really difficult for me. Um, 
when I crack a joke <laughs> on here and there's no one laughing. I don't know if it's funny or not, right? So, so sometimes I kind of laugh to myself and my wife tells me it's weird when I laugh alone. Eh, it, it's probably weird. I'm doing it right now. Uh, but it's because I, uh, part of it is like I'm just awkward, right? And so it's been hard not to focus and obsess over the circumstances. But I try to remember the promises of God and I try to remember how um, I am to put my joy in God and not my circumstances. When the angel Gabriel brought Mary this message and he said to her, you are highly favored. Mary really didn't have any reason to be shown such favor and such grace from God, yet she was. You might not believe or even think that you have reason to be shown favor or grace by God. And you probably don't, okay? Uh, however, God still shows you favor. God still shows you grace, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. Because Not because you're so great, but because He is great. And because he is great, and because He is loving, and because God is so gracious, you are favored. And don't let your circumstances distract you from that. Or don't let your circumstances determine your level of joy, your state of joy. And when Mary received and believed that she was favored by God, right, and she found her joy in God and not her circumstances, she responded by glorifying God, not herself. Joy, true joy, results in glorifying God, not ourselves. In verse 48 of today's passage, um, it says this. Oh, in, uh, it's actually verse 46, going back to uh, the first verse of today's passage. In response, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord. The traditional name of Mary's song, okay, um, is Magnificat, okay, as a Latin for uh, magnifying, okay, because she magnifies God. That word for glorify is can also be translated as magnify. And what that literally means, it's kind of like a like a magnifying glass, right? It, it you, you take something small and you make it bigger. And that's what Mary is doing. She is magnifying God, right? God has always been big, okay? Um, it's not like Mary is literally making God bigger. God, God has always been big, but when she receives this news and she is full of joy, God suddenly became bigger in her life. God became bigger in her life. While it may seem like a burden and a struggle to be the mother of Jesus, deep within her heart, she knew it was an esteemed privilege and distinct honor to be the mother of the Son of God. Let's also look at verse 48 of today's passage. It says, For he has been mindful of this humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one in verse 49 for the mighty one has done great things for me 
holy is his name. For God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Man, that is such beautiful words coming from such a young person. What this meant is that God looked at Mary with care, with intention, with attention. God paid attention to Mary. But who is Mary that God would be mindful of her? Um, it made sense that Joseph... Oh, sorry, there's a helicopter flying by. <laughs> um, there's this sense that Joseph... Uh, made, you know, it, it made sense that Joseph would be Jesus' earthly father. Joseph being from the Davidic line of descent. And it fulfilled this prophecy that Jesus would be King David's like son. But Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father, right? So who is Mary? Right? She's just a simple peasant girl, um, barely old enough to get married. Uh, and by today's standards, she wouldn't be old enough, right? She's from this really modest home. Um, but it's precisely because she is anonymous that God chose her. It is precisely because she's a nobody that God was mindful of her. God is mindful of the most insignificant people in the world. Even though she may be unknown by the world, she is very known by God. So Mary did not place her joy in her circumstances. She placed her joy in God. And when this happened, when she heard about this news that she would be the mother of Christ, she responded in glorifying God. Now, I don't know if you ever feel like Mary, especially in the last few months. Um, maybe you're just home alone. You don't talk to anybody. Um, you don't really communicate with people. And maybe there are days where you feel invisible, unnoticed by the world. But God wants to remind you today that he sees you. He knows you and he is mindful of you, just as he was of Mary. Nowadays, when people receive a gift, a blessing, or a reward in their lives, instead of magnifying God, they magnify themselves, they glorify themselves. Now, they might not be so explicit and crude by saying things like, I'm awesome, or I deserve this, or I'm the best. But they would use other language, like self-help language, like I believe in myself, <laughs> or I'm my own hero, or like I'm worth it, or treat yourself. I, actually, I, I use that one a lot, treat yourself. Um, but I wonder if these are all various forms of narcissism disguised as self-empowerment. Obviously, I'm not saying that self-help or emotional health is unimportant. Um, if you've listened to any of my sermons in the past, you know that uh, I'm all about self-help and uh, emotional health. I've been in therapy for many years, and uh, I, I love therapy. <laughs> um, and I, I 
try to keep tabs on how I'm feeling on a daily basis. But there is a big difference between self-love and self-magnification. Okay? One sees ourselves for whom we truly are, and the other sees ourselves in a grandiose way that is inconsistent with our true character. Uh, at the beginning of Advent, I was started reading this book uh, called Honest Advent. Now, it's on my Kindle, so I can't... Um, I mean, I could show you, but it doesn't really do it justice. But in the book, there's like beautiful pieces of art like this that the author, his name is Scott Erickson, um, shares uh, in his book. Uh, I'm also going to share a couple images here in color because showing on Kindle doesn't really do it justice. But I, I, I love this book. I love the art in this book because some of the art that he shows is really, really raw and realistic. There's this one picture of Mary. I'm not going to show it because uh, it's actually, it shows Mary nude, uh, very pregnant and kind of like grimacing her face and like holding her back. And she has like hair um, in her armpit because you know they didn't really shave their armpits back then and so um, it was really eye-opening it wasn't this like perfect clean pristine image of Mary that we see in so much of the art in previous years like during the Renaissance period and and prior and it, it just is really really eye-opening and revealing how Mary was a real teenage girl who was struggling with real doubt and real emotions and real fear yet in that difficult state that she was in she was still able to respond with joy and how was she able to do this how was she able to do this well this is the last thing that Mary models for us really well is that joy for our future is based on God's goodness from our past. Joy for our future can be based on God's goodness from our past. Even though Mary came from a relatively poor background, she came from a good family. Um, and the man that she was engaged to, Joseph, he was a good man, okay? He, you know, wasn't filthy rich or anything. He was a simple carpenter. But when most men would have cut off their marital arrangement at the first sign of their fiance being pregnant, Joseph waited on God. He listened to the angel and he protected Mary when she was most vulnerable. Mary has seen and witnessed the various ways that God has been good to her. And so she could look forward with hope and with joy, knowing that God will continue to be good to her even if her current situation seems incredibly difficult i think for most of us we are all excited to look forward to 2021 most of us just want 2020 to be over and done with and um but there are still some people who are scared and weary about the future and we're not too certain about what it has to offer but if you have any doubt in your mind if we should look forward with hope and joy, just look back at your life. Has God provided for you? 
has God seen you through other difficult situations or maybe even more difficult situations than this? Maybe you've been in despair before, but God granted you a way out. Even though Mary was joyful and gladly received this news from the angel Gabriel, she must have been incredibly afraid about it. At this point, Mary probably didn't know the full scale of what it meant to be Jesus' mother. She definitely didn't know that Jesus was going to die this gruesome death on the cross. But the arrival of Jesus meant the changing of everything. Mary would, um, if Jesus never came, Mary would just live an ordinary life without many highs or lows. But because Jesus came, Mary would experience difficulty and incredible pain, but she would also experience incredible joy. And she would have the honorable title of being the mother of Christ. Now, there are many things that I love about Mary's song, but what I love the most about Mary's song is that it made Mary an active participant in this waiting period. Now, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that uh, Advent um, meant coming or arrival, right? And it's a period of, of waiting while we are waiting for Christmas. And it seems like that's all we're doing these days in 2020 is just waiting. Uh, but as Mary was waiting, she was an active participant in God's promises. She didn't just merely sit back, receive this news, and just say okay and did nothing. She responded with this beautiful song, and she glorified God, and she became an active participant in the promises of God. And for all of us, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago too, like, we could be waiting passively and doing nothing, but what God actually wants us to do is be an active participant while we are waiting. While we are waiting, we can grow. While we are waiting, we could share the love of God. While we are waiting, we could serve others, which is what our small groups are doing this month. The reason why this title, uh, Magnificat, is so wonderful is because that is truly what Mary did in her soul, right? Her soul glorified God, all of a sudden, God became much, much bigger in her life. The only way we can have a greater view of God is to actually make Him bigger in our lives. Let me give you this uh, example. My son Drew is, um, he just turned five now, and he likes to find things and look for things right and like announce it to me <laughs> all of the time one of the favorite things that drew likes to look for is the moon right because uh you know he doesn't get to see the moon very often right but now these days because it gets dark so early um you know we've been seeing the moon more and more often and he gets like so excited when he sees the moon there's one day while we were driving home uh on the freeway and uh drew and it was quiet in the car and all of a sudden like uh, Drew yells out, Appa! And I'm like, what? What? And Appa means dad in Korean, right? He goes, Appa! The moon! The moon! And I'm like, oh my God. 
he nearly gave me a heart attack. <laughs> he goes, up by the moon, right? And at this time of evening, the moon was huge, right? The moon was huge. And, um, you know, he says, look at the moon. It's so big. And I'm like, yeah, the moon is big, right? And we're talking about the moon on the drive home. He goes, but Appa, why is the moon so small sometimes? And I responded to him by saying, Drew, the moon is not small. It's just far away. Do you ever feel like sometimes God is small in your life? I have news for you. God has never been small. Maybe he's just far away. The only way we can make God bigger in our lives is by drawing closer to him. We cannot make God any bigger than he actually is. The best way that we can glorify God, that we can magnify God in our lives, is by drawing closer to him. During this Advent season, while we posture ourselves in a way of waiting for Jesus' arrival, may we not wait passively. May we be active participants in glorifying God in our lives. A couple days ago, my Lebanese friend and colleague, Rula, shared this poem with me uh, from Khalil Gibran, uh, from his famous book, The Prophet, and it seemed very appropriate to close with this today. Then a woman said, Speak to us of joy and sorrow. And the prophet answered, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is it not the lute that soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find it and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again into your heart and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say, joy is greater than sorrow. And others say, no, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you at your board, remember that the other is asleep on your bed. Verily you are suspended like scales between sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you at the standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and his silver, needs must your joy or your sorrow rise or fall.